It's The Adventures of Indiana Jim, episode 55, for sometime in July 2019. Coming to you not exactly live from... The Cliffs of Insanity! Where life is an adventure. And if adventure has a podcast, it must be Indiana Jim. You have chosen us. Don't tell me you've never heard of me. I'll explain. And I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. You, boy, are arrogant, hot-tempered, entirely too bold. I like that. Reminds me of me. I don't believe I've ever seen such a display of courage, skill, nerve, grace, and stupidity. And now... That international man of mystery, that intrepid archgeekologist, Indiana Jim. I have entertained in all the courts of Europe and speak a ready wit in their every tongue. I told you I was famous. Greetings, all geeks and dorks and nerds and people like that. I am Indiana Jim. Welcome to the adventures of me, Indiana Jim. So I have something for you today. You may remember, of course I have something for you today. I'm recording a podcast today, so therefore I have something for you today. You may remember back in the last episode, uh, midlife angst and something or other. I I don't even remember the title of the episode. I suppose I should uh, know what that is. Uh, Midlife anxiety and crippling angst, a comedy. Uh, You may remember kind of a fairly rough uh, account of, of several things. But I have recently experienced something that I want to share with you, extremely important change since then. And I'm not going to get into a ton of detail about what exactly triggered this change, because that's not important. The important thing is that it happened. Um Really, a, a fantastic. You you can't explain it other than a sea change uh, in my perspective, in my self realization, um, whatever you know. I've di- self discovery, that kind of thing. Um, so there's that. Uh, I, I wrote a note about it on Facebook, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share it here um, because I think it's important and. So far, it's really it's been meaningful to um, several people, and so I want to share that with you. And also, I would just like to say that we have someone, a listener, sent in feedback. That's right, my dear friend and listener, Paul Fisher sent in some feedback regarding that episode, and I'm going to share a little bit of it. Um, I'm not going to share the whole thing because I've decided that much of what I have to say is is better uh, between he and I, um, since we are friends. But there were a few salient points I wanted to share with uh, my audience. So we'll get to that. But first, let's dive right in to what we're here for, and that is what I've called the death of fear and self-loathing. And a lot of this I've, I've sort of dealt with um, when I was reading the book 
The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. A lot of this I've sort of, um, the idea was was to tell the story of our upper limit problem, like like to tell the story of what is holding us back. And a lot of that was, was self-discovery and, and will remain private, but I'm going to share a lot of that in the next episode, episode 56. I'm, I'm going to get into that a little bit more and kind of outline the lessons I've learned from that. And so I went back and reviewed the notes because I read this book about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. I went back and reviewed my notes and kind of looking for connections between what I was thinking about then and what I'm thinking about now. And some of that had to do with the story of my past and why um, I believed certain things. And so that book kind of got me really exploring you know, where do, where do my beliefs come from? Where do, what deep-seated beliefs am I not even consciously aware of? And some of that was also helped by, by Tony Robbins and Cliff Ravenscraft. So this kind of all is, is sort of a culmination of, of everything. And finally, it, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. So the end of June 2019 marks that weekend, which I experienced a sea change in my life, one that finally revealed to me the one limiting belief that has governed or colored nearly every major decision and event in my life. Most of the negative ones, anyway. It certainly did not govern the decision to decide that that I want to write or the decision that I want to podcast or or any of these things. We're we're talking about limiting beliefs um, holding us back or or causing us to self-sabotage. so forgive the rather long story, but it's entirely relevant to the discovery of your limiting belief. Sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. You've heard that. And sometimes you didn't know what you had before it left. I guess that means the same thing. But sometimes you don't know what's missing until it smacks you in the face. And this time it hit me like a ton of bricks weighed down with cinder blocks underneath the giant tortoise holding up our vast flat earth. Now, can you really believe there's people that actually believe this in the 21st century? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I, I think some of these people are, are yanking our chains, but I, I don't know. It seems like there's some people that actually believe the earth is flat. I just I don't understand why. So when you grow up without one of your parents in your life from your very earliest recollection, it affects you. Now, much has been written about the lack of father figures, but in my case, it was my mother. So as much as my dad tried to be both the nurturer and the disciplinarian, and as much as my grandmother sacrificed and worked to fill in that gap, she could never really replace your mom because you know that that's not your mom. That's not the person who gave birth to you. That's not the person who contributed, you know, 50%, I guess, if you want to put a mathematical equation, of your, of your makeup. So as a child and into my teenage years, and this is not because of this, but just factual information from second to 10th grade, eight years of my life, maybe nine, uh, depending on, because we lived nine years in this town that I'm going to get to. I was bullied, teased, ridiculed, and physically assaulted by several of my peers. Now, I grew up in a tiny Northern California town called Chester. Um, you could find that on the map um, on Google a town where if your parents were poor or didn't work for uh, Collins Mill, uh, the lumber company in the area, uh, or you lacked athletic ability, you were nothing. 
So early in life, going back before that, I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. Um, not going to get into that very much, but to suffice to say, to suffice to say, no. But suffice to say, I was slower to develop physically than males my age in every single way. And we were pretty much dirt poor, renting a small cabin from uh, family on their property. And they had about, I think, not, no, 12. I think they had about 12 cabins on this. It was sort of, they were vacation cabins, I guess. But really, the people that rented them lived there. So my dad worked the local hardware store, True Value, doing odd jobs for people also here and there. And I'm not going to say anything disparaging about my dad. He did the best he could with really very limited resources. He was the son of a man who himself was abused by his own father, um, physically abused. Um, And my grandfather spent most of his time with his ham radio, my dad also with a ham radio and computers, and me with my computers and video games and, and other stuff. So I come from a long line of recluses with issues. And I also come from a long line of men with terrible relationship skills. Now, my dad was incapable of teaching me how to stand up for myself, to believe in myself, or handle any kind of conflict because he didn't know how. So I learned to be a recluse not only from learned behavior, but also because I was rejected by most of my peers for various reasons. I didn't really have a choice not to be included. And so I've been conditioned to not include myself. But I was rejected for various reasons. Um, You know, I would have done anything to feel strong or attractive to the opposite sex. So I retreated to entertainment for my escape from, from everything. But not having that value placed on me by the most important female in your life, which is your mother, um, affects you. So thus, everything I ever knew or thought about or believed about relationships, I learned from love songs on the radio, TV shows, and movies that I watched. So for a boy with utter, utterly zero self-confidence... The hero complex was very appealing. It's appealing to a lot of boys anyway, which meant I was a prime target for objectification to fulfill my fantasies, which meant I was susceptible to the lie of lust and sexual fantasy as the ultimate symbol of strength, virility, and most of all, significance. My life revolved around getting the girl, Making girls like me. That was, it's, it was the biggest issue to me. Now, with that lust and sexual fantasy, I retreated to that as a coping mechanism when I was about 13 or 14 and struggled with that ever since, up until the end of June. So like my friend Cliff Ravenscraft and Tony Robbins teach about the six human needs, it fulfilled my need for certainty, variety, significance, and connection, four of the six human needs. And the pathway to addiction is if something fulfills a majority of those six human needs, you are more likely to become addicted to it. It's more likely to become a foundational part of your makeup. But something new happened at the end of June, and all the information I've gathered and have been learning from Cliff, Tony, and also Gay Hendricks, along with what I knew from my Bible, came into brilliant focus, like a, like a flash of light. And in my belief, 
God himself revealed to me the one limiting belief that I've been holding on to, consciously or unconsciously, for my entire life. This belief has governed almost all my major decisions in life, like I said, the negative ones, or colored those major decisions in some profound yet crippling way. And that belief, ladies and gentlemen, was that I'm not good enough. Now, we all seem to struggle with that to some degree. Um, A popular way to look at that these days is imposter syndrome, when we're trying to stand out um, amongst a crowd, you know, particularly in podcasting or uh, with YouTube video creators. Writers especially deal with this. Um, Most creatives seem to deal with this, is that belief that we're not good enough. But mine permeated my entire existence. It wasn't just in my creative pursuits. It was in literally everything. Now, I want you to do do an experiment. Look in the mirror and say that a few times. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough to yourself. Say that. Go ahead. If you if you didn't do that, good. Don't don't ever do that. Don't. But if you did, how does it make you feel? Now try feeling that, but but understanding that there are people that believe that in their heart of hearts. Again, about everything they do, about everything they are. Now, this was always reinforced by my dad, but not in the way that he told me I'm not good enough. But ultimately, he believed it about himself and was never really able to express to me that I was good enough, that I was significant, because he didn't feel that. And so if you don't feel significant, how, other than in a self-deprecating way, oh, you're so much better than me, oh, you're so much better looking, oh, you know, that kind of thing, How can we possibly pass on to someone else that they are good enough? So when speaking of people, you know, positive thinking speakers and preachers, and especially, um, let's say, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people or Dale Carnegie or these kinds of things, he would always quote one of his favorite verses from the Bible in the King James Version the, the, the place where Paul says, I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. It was always the emphasis that we're not good enough for ourselves. We're, not, we're all sinners. Oh, woe is us how much help we need. The thing is, I do believe those things in a way. They are true statements, but it's only one side of the coin. The verse actually says that it is in the flesh which no good thing dwells the flesh being understood to refer to our sinful nature. But according to the Bible, if we have believed in Jesus, God has given us a new heart and a new nature. And that passage there outlines the war between those two natures, but ends with verse 25, which is about deliverance. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. To understand the context of what is being said there, it was never about you know with with like Tony Robbins or some of these people. It's never about making up some positive pap to lie to ourselves with so that we feel good. It's about finding legitimate positive things about ourselves, finding gratitude in our life. Um, Check another verse, Philippians 4.8, and this is what makes me feel like these things that I'm learning about Tony Robbins from and, and Cliff about focus, what we focus on. Your focus determines your reality is this verse, Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, those are things we're supposed to focus on. And no matter what struggles you're going through, you can find things to, that are excellent and praiseworthy. You can aspire to things that are noble and right and admirable. 
So the real follow-up question to the belief, I'm not good enough, is good enough for what exactly? Good enough to, uh, to save myself? No, of course not. Good enough not to make mistakes again? Highly unlikely. Good enough to help myself? Not when I reach the end of what I am capable of. Ultimately, I never understood until it hit me suddenly that despite how dirty, sinful, incapable, and worthless I think I am, or how worthless you think you are, no matter what you believe, that God thought you and I are worth enough, or were worth enough, to die for. I was worth enough to forgive. I am not worthy enough because of myself, but I am worthy enough because he loves me. And that's all the worth I will ever need. So, and, and people ask, well, you know, if you don't believe in God, your worth, do you believe your worth comes from others or comes from yourself? Um, ultimately, my, my worth does not come from anyone else because they will fail me. Everyone disappoints us at some time. There's no one perfect that meets every single one of our needs. My worth can't come from myself because I am... Um, I am broken. I am, I am messed up. I, I do not always believe the right things about myself. I, I do not always think clearly. So, therefore, our worth has to come from something beyond ourselves that is unchangeable. We, we, can't, we can't go back and forth, up and down, between feeling worthless and feeling worthy, feeling worthless, feeling worthy, feeling worthless, feeling worthy. There has to be some unchangeable aspect of life or the universe or something that tells you, you are who you are, and that is good enough. Where, where do you get that from? Anyway, imagine the implications of holding that belief. I was not good enough for my mother to stay. Not good enough for my dad to push me towards success in my interests. Not good enough for boys my age to be friends with. Not good enough for girls my age to be interested in. Not good enough at sports, etc. So let's fast forward to age 15 when my dad experienced a full-on nervous breakdown. My grandparents, um, my, my dad's father had died in 1989, and she remarried in 1992. So uh, this was 1993 or 4, uh, 93. So they lived in southern Arizona at the time where they were rehabbing two houses. They were living in one, fixing up another, and then they would fix up the one they lived in. Same thing with my grandmother's sister, um, which kind of coming full circle back when we moved from where I was born in Auburn, California to Chester, it was because my grandmother had moved up there living on the property that her sister and her husband owned. And so now in Southern Arizona, same thing. They lived right across the street from her sister, you know, whatever. So my dad had to be institutionalized for a period of time. It wasn't a long period, which meant I had to live with my grandparents there's a new town, a new school, new peers, and a new start. And I had the presence of mind at the moment to take advantage of the fresh start, declaring that what happened to me before would never happen to me again because I was beginning to develop physically. My voice had dropped. Um, so I was starting to experience a little more self-confidence. I was starting to kind of feel like, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not rotten. I'm not this worthless person. I started to be able to frame what was happening to me from other people. And I had begun to experience God in my life on a real level. But one thing remained, and that was the need for significance, that need to be thought of as strong, capable, and attractive. And that's ultimately where my new start kind of went to, is trying to make myself or, or trying to identify where I was, or that I was, strong, capable, and attractive. Um, 
that my ultimate desire was one day to have a family, which came from a good place, and that was to redeem my family legacy, which was one of broken homes and broken relationships, um, marital unfaithfulness, to one of maritable, maritable, <laughs> maritable, merit. I keep doing it, marital faithfulness, <laughs> and uh, and staying together and being the kind of husband and father that that one should be. But I mistakenly took on the idea that it was all up to me, like. Like the entertainment that became my escape, it was up to me to be the hero of this family story. Now, there's a reason why I've gone through many relationships, not as many as, as like a lot of people have. Um, certainly not multiple um, partners. Um, my wife is the only person who I've had as a uh, um, partner, if you know what I mean. Um... That's why I've struggled to be a good husband and father, why I've changed jobs eight or nine or ten times over the last 20 years, why I've self-sabotaged any sense of success or momentum I've experienced over the years. I mean, I, I, it was because of my depression and whatever that I simply in 2010 or 11, I just let, or 12 maybe, 2012 was a bad year. Everything, I just let everything lapse on my domain name, on the podcast, everything, and I've had to try to restart that and it's been in through fits and starts that I've been doing that so anyway self-sabotaging success or momentum like I've said it's the reason why I could never stick with something long enough to make it work and why there's always some new shiny thing to take away my attention it's not it's not just ADD which I thought it was it's all based on that one single pernicious limiting belief that no matter my best efforts no matter how interested I am I'm not good enough and someday that person or that thing I look to for that significance isn't going to be there. Eventually, I'll be found out for the fraud that I am, so I might as well admit it and move on to someone or something else. You know, I never thought I was the person who had imposter syndrome, but it goes so much further beyond just imposter syndrome. This belief is why I could not stay consistent with this podcast. I couldn't stay on message didn't know what the message was, and I didn't truly believe that it mattered. It's also why I've not been able to write consistently. It's why I vacillate between bursts of creativity and fits of futility. It's why I couldn't keep it together financially, and I still don't really know what my dream is in life. I'm, I'm beginning to learn that, but I lost sight of whatever that was. So to say that I've had an epiphany is a profound understatement. Profound. That's how many syllables? I don't know. Profound. Profound. That's five syllables. Profound. Understatement. <laughs> and not to put too fine a point on it, but my marriage has been the catalyst for that epiphany. My wife and I are we're in the best place we've been in 20 years. It's going to get even better. We have a, we have a new understanding of each other. We, we had a, a couple, three days where we had a, a very serious uh, discussion and, and things happening, a conversation, and I finally feel like, I mean, she's told me I have permission to be myself, but she's always told me, I want you to pick something and do it, I want you to be successful at it, but I now feel like I have permission from myself to be myself. I was holding myself back. Now, I don't understand everything that is next in my life, but I have a new paradigm, and I'm rethinking all of these things that I've been learning and, and experiencing. 
Now, lastly, and most importantly, and now if you are a believer, this will mean something to you. If you are not, that's okay. I've struggled to keep up with my spiritual disciplines, which is you know reading the Bible, praying, maybe journaling, um, fellowshipping, <laughs> hanging out with other people of, of like mind. I've not really had any prayer life to speak of for more than 10 years. Um, and that's a big deal for someone who is a Christian who believes that prayer is the one of the most important connectors between yourself and God. I've been going through a you know, dark night of the soul, in quotes there, longer than I think it's supposed to last. But suddenly, because I've recognized what my number one limiting belief is, I know how to pray. I know what to pray for. I know where I'm struggling. I know where... Um, that enemy is attacking me. I know how to read the Bible because I know what I'm looking for. I know how to rebuild relationships that I have or, or build into those relationships that I have because I no longer think that I'm unworthy of that relationship. All of the stuff that I've said, I can do because for the first time that I can remember, the self-loathing I was conditioned to operate from is simply gone. It's just not there. Now, it still lingers in the back of my mind, uh, like, like an echo of a whisper uh, of lies in my ear about how I'm not good enough, but I no longer believe it. Now, I still don't know who I am without this limiting belief, but for the first time, I'm excited about getting to know me, you know. Um, and I had some, some really good uh, comments from folks um, and Cliff Ravenscraft, um, it's one of my favorite comments. He says, the cool thing is that we are made in the image of God and he is a creator. In a way, you have the gift of creating who you are without this limiting belief. All caps, you are worthy. And I'm thrilled to know you and I look forward to seeing you again in Franklin, Tennessee. Speaking of which, Franklin, Tennessee, September 13th through the 15th, I think, is the Free the Dream Conference. It is a conference put on by Cliff Ravenscraft, formerly the podcast answer man. He's now redefined himself as the mindset answer man. If you go to, I think it's freethedream.live, you can go there, you can go to cliffravenscraft.com, and you can look up the Free the Dream conference. Now, it's not an inexpensive thing, but it's a bargain compared to very similar experience which you would receive at a Tony Robbins event. Um, so it's it's... In Nashville, Tennessee, you would have to, you know, pay to get there, lodging, um, and the conference itself. But I encourage you to look at it, look, listen to the testimonial, see if it's for you. It may not be for you, that's fine, but my wife and I are going, and uh, very um, excited about doing that. But um, that wasn't the only place that I received good, um, I don't know what to say, uh, feedback on it. Um, it was in the Free the Dream family Facebook group, um, and I wanted to read a few of those. Uh, let's see, it from um, Jared said, that hit home in so many ways it's not even funny, and hopefully I'll be able to speak with him and meet Jared um, and find out how it, how it spoke to him. This is from uh, Chrissy. It says, Jim, thanks for this. Beautifully said how our self-limiting beliefs can hold us back. This really hit home for me. I can't wait to meet you in September. I can't wait to meet you either, Chrissy. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. A um, little nervous about missing meeting new people. 
but uh, and then Jason says, "Thanks for sharing your journey and your epiphany, Jim. I've said this to Cliff before: limiting beliefs are sneaky buggers, and I'll add now that they burrow deep. I'm thrilled that you have uncovered yours. It has to feel amazingly good. All the best to you, and looking forward to meeting you in September. So I can't wait. Um, and like I said, I'm a little bit nervous because this is kind of a new experience for me. It's not that things I've said haven't impacted people before. Um, it's the fact that." I guess I guess there's more meaning to it now. There's more purpose, more intent behind it now. Like I, I understand what has built me into um, a person um, like this. I, mean, you know, I don't know how to how to put that, but uh, but there it is anyway. So I'm I'm very curious to hear what you think. So if you're ready to send feedback about that, please email indianajimpodcasts at gmail.com or you can call the voicemail line 760-705-INDY. That's 760-705-4639. Now to the feedback from my friend Paul Fisher. And like I said, I don't want to share everything. because Some of it, I think, applies to me and some of it maybe doesn't or some of it, I've some of the struggle that he gives solutions for, I might have moved past, but I want to share a few things. Number one, especially if you if you are a person who feels overwhelmed, here's some, some tips from my buddy Paul. Uh, number one is to carry a notebook and write everything down. Now, not just any old notebook, um, and not just any old pen, and not, not, like, not, not in your phone. You need, you need a focal point. This is where I feel like this comes from. Um, he says, get one with a hard cover, one that costs a little bit, so that you don't forget it. You know, something that has value. If you ascribe financial value, you're more likely to take care of it. Then write everything down. Um, you know, everything that happens in life, everything you feel like you need to remember, or even things that you just need to process through, even simple things. Um, don't write tiny print. Um, start a new page for everything. You know, every page has what you're doing. Um and what he says is what you're doing is offloading your brain to an external device, one without a battery and a screen, one that you will always keep on you because it becomes necessary to your existence. Um, he is, even says write down story ideas, favorite hotels and restaurants, everything. This will help you get control of the situation. So what you're doing is you're, you're not just trying to keep it up in your head. You're, you're having a physical place that you're – and, of course, we all know that, that writing down things has a significant relationship to retention. Um, and memory. Um, and he talks about, you know, what to do about making the, the vehicle your own place. Um, and, he, and he has other, other tips in there, but you have to, you have to, I guess what I find in there is, um, identifying that this is your place, that it is comfortable and productive. Um, especially if, if, if I'm a passenger, but we'll, we'll get to that with, with Paul. Uh, schedule breaks from driving every two hours. And this is, some of these things are specifically for the job that I was doing. But I felt like the notebook idea, I've heard that before, and I think that's valuable. And I think that I'm, I do have a lot of notebooks laying around <laughs> that I write stuff in. So I might have to get some more valuable ones. But anyway, um, what he said about creativity, I felt was especially valid for this audience. And I'm, and I'm feeling like my, my calling, my, my place is 
as a believer, specifically to other people in the church, we've lost sight of the value of creativity, the value of the arts in religion, you know, and and not so much as a as evangelistic tool because there's so many there's so many uh, corruptions of the faith. There's so many things that we try to turn, you know, a Christian version of music and Christian version of fiction and a Christian version of movies and all, you know, there, there's all these Christian versions of things. We don't respect the message enough to to go out into the the, the general public and, and make the best thing we can. Now, some of it, some of it, there are people that you know Hollywood is not exactly interested in marketing um, that message um, for various reasons, um, and you know it, it, it. We have to figure out a way to express it in a way that, that the world finds valuable. Because I think what's happened is we've turned it into an evangelistic tool instead of just a, a testimony tool, I guess is the word. Um, an expression of who we are, expression of what we think and, and how we look at things. And, and sometimes, a, a you know, life is dirty. Life is not clean. Life is not easy. Life is not this, um, you know, Hallmark Channel business, you know, Um there's a there's a lack of authenticity when we try to Christianize things because we we try to clean it up. So anyway, that's my area is creativity, um, and not just writing, but you know I've I've been involved in music. I've I've done some drawing and, and graphic design, and and I've I've sort of been exposed to all of it. But he says, find what you like and do it, and I believe that. Um, you go to the big leap. It's all about being in your zone of genius. That that place where you lose track of time. That that thing that ultimately fulfills you. Whatever that is, you spend more time there. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. You know, it's not about if you're writing. It's not about impressing people. It's not about oh, does so and so like it or does so and so dislike it. If creativity helps you balance your life and remove stress, then do what you want, even if you don't ever share it. It doesn't matter if no one is watching your stream reading your book, or singing your songs. You need to do what makes you happy. And your happiness doesn't depend on other people, and I think that is so true. Um, again, we're, we're, that happiness goes a lot to value and worth. Um, your value and worth doesn't depend on what other people do or say or think. It depends on you and what you believe. If you want to make other people happy, you can you know, cook for them. Invite everyone over and throw some burgers and dogs on the grill. But when you're done, look at yourself in the mirror. Are you happy? Are you smiling? Check your own happiness and write it down in the notebook. And he gives a few examples. You know, writing down, I am happy after writing a song for two hours and noodling with my guitar. Or, I am not happy after sitting in front of my computer and writing on my novel for three hours. If I had three hours of good, productive writing, I would feel ecstatic. <laughs> you know, but it's just an example. Um, or, I am happy when I cook for my family, friends, church, etc., I am not happy when I spend two hours playing video games when I could be outside mowing the grass or fixing my kid's car. I feel pretty happy after two hours of playing video games. Sometimes. Sometimes I don't. You know, obviously, when you're, when, you're, when you're not doing things that need to be done and you're doing things that don't need to be done, you should not necessarily be filled with happiness. <laughs> but he says, make that notebook a part of tracking your happiness just for yourself, not for anyone else to know about. And when you find what makes you happy, do that more. When you find what makes you unhappy, do that less. And I think that's a wonderful idea. It's physically taking inventory. And that's something that I did start doing. Um, 
even way back when, when I was just reading The Big Leap, I've been doing this for a while, sort of inventorying my life, not really journaling per se, but as I go through books, processing what I'm learning. So I think that's extremely valuable, Paul, and I and definitely appreciate you you giving that. And for you all that are listening, do that. Take inventory of your life. Um, it, who did I, I get this from? I don't know if this was Tony Robbins or if it was Cliff. Um Gosh, where did I hear this? I'm trying to remember what it was. But it was about time management. Oh, it was Dean Wesley Smith. That's what it was. In his uh, series about carving out time for writing, you can find that. I think that's free on YouTube, uh, Dean Wesley Smith on YouTube, um, carving out time for your writing. And one of those things he said was, write down everything you do. Take inventory of how you spend your time, no matter how small it is, no matter how short it is. And you, you write down how much time you spent doing whatever that thing is. And you will learn very quickly where you're wasting your time. You will learn very quickly how much time you're spending on stuff that doesn't matter. And it kind of helps you figure out where you can carve out time. And so I, I think it's extremely valid. Um, good information there. And... Um, then there's the thing about the podcast. In the words of, of Evo Terra, Paul says, the podcast is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. I give you permission. <laughs> I remember when he said that on, uh, on the uh, podcast pontifications. In the words of Dave Slusher, there's a guy I haven't heard the name of in a while. I do this podcast because it makes me happy. I don't care if 100 people listen. I don't care if no one listens. I do this for me. And that's, that's hard for me. Well, let me finish. It's your podcast. Don't stop yourself from doing what you want. If people want to listen to you, then they will listen to you. If one episode isn't for them, they'll skip it or they'll unsubscribe. Don't sweat it. This is for you. And I'm reminded real quickly of Star Wars Theory, another YouTube channel that I've been watching. Um, not all this video. I don't really like all the theorizing and all that stuff. But even though I do my own, I don't really... It's not really where I go. I, I kind of like to have the story revealed to me. I'm not theorizing about where things are going or where, you know, anyway, good content, great content. Um, but he was talking about, you know, getting feedback on, oh, I want you to do more lore videos. I want you to do more reviews of comics or I want you to do more fan fiction stuff, you know, do more um, fan fiction videos like, like he did that Vader film, uh, fan film stuff. And I said to him, my comment to him was, do what you love to do and your audience will be there. And that's, I think that's what, Paul is getting at is that and, and shoot I've heard this from from Cliff from Tony from anybody um, from Kong there's a guy named Kong I'm kind of looking at his videos he's he's kind of a YouTube um, marketing not marketing specialist but but anyway the idea is about doing what you love to do um, that's going to bring you the best audience that's going to bring you your true fans is doing what you love to do and now, where I struggle with is I feel like now, instead of just being kind of a goofball and entertaining people, like I used to just kind of, you know, just it was crazy. It was all over the board. Maybe I'll get all over the board again. I don't know. But, you know, I feel like there's some value. I feel like I, I feel like I have value now. I used to not feel like that. But I feel like I have value. I feel like now, I feel like I am entertaining people. I feel like I am learning things that people will get value from. And I feel like I'm speaking in a way that there's people out there that, that need to hear that. And so I want people to hear that. And not that I want, you know, millions and millions of people to hear it and listen to it. And if they do great, 
but I want those people that need this to hear it. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not just doing it for me. I am doing it for me, but I'm also doing it so that others can get value out of it. I'm doing it so that others can learn the lessons that I've learned. I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's what I want. I want people to hear this message, and I feel like they need to hear this message. And I feel like the more sources you have and they have to feel this message, uh, to hear this message, the better. And so I, I feel like I, I want to take um, part in that. And uh, so anyway, Paul, thank you so much for writing that. And I didn't share nearly half of what he wrote to me. But again, I feel like a lot of that is going to be for me and him to talk about um, on, a, on a friend level, not on a public level. So again, thank you so much, Paul. Um, he's also in the past helped me with uh, writing resumes when I needed it. And uh, he's, a, he's a really good dude. And I really like him. Um, so again, thank you. And you know, that's that's kind of all I have for this episode. We're we're sitting here at maybe what half, a little over half an hour, forty five minutes maybe, um, because I'm on the second recording because <laughs> I had to pause in the middle. Um, anyway, um, I don't know what else to say other than that maybe kind of give an idea of what I'm going to be doing in the future, and I I really feel like. I have permission now to just be me. And so I'm going to, one of the things I want to do is start talking about movies that I like that, you know, not necessarily everybody else likes, not, not necessarily everyone else appreciates uh, movies that sometimes get criticism because they're not as good as X, Y, Z fill in the blank, you know, um, movies like first night, the movie that starred Sean Connery and Richard Gere, uh, movies like the 13th warrior starring Antonio Banderas, um, Things that maybe get criticized and ridiculed, like The Phantom Menace, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, gets a lot of criticism, even though I feel like it is the best of the three prequel films. Um, you put that in your pipe and smoke it, critics. Yeah, okay. Um, maybe I'll talk about gaming, but I think that's I'm going to reserve that for my YouTube um, stuff. But uh, we'll see. I'm still learning some new lessons, and like I said, uh, next episode I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the stuff that, that I remember from the Big Leap, the notes, the things that I highlighted and how I relate that to now, uh, now that I've had this uh, momentous epiphany. Um, so I'm going to share that with you hopefully next week. Um, I'm actually going to start taking some notes on it here after I'm done with this and uh, so that I can start preparing ahead of time and, and stay ahead of the curve. Uh, also, I'm, I'm finishing up uh, the revision, the final revisions um, the final walkthrough of the first novel in the Blade Wielders series called First Blade. And uh, I was originally going to call it First Night, but I feel like, you know, that's been done, <laughs> considering it's the name of one of my favorite movies. Um, but First Blade, um, and and we'll, we'll be doing that. Um, hopefully we'll be releasing that soon so that you can pick that up on your favorite e-reader device and check that out. Um, so anyway, um, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to let my friend J.R. Murdoch tell you everything you need to know about how to contact me. And, uh, I hope to hear from you. Please send me some feedback like Paul Fisher did. Um, I dearly love to hear from you if you're listening. Uh, I even love to hear from you if you're not listening, but see, that's kind of impossible. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
You've been listening to The Adventures of Indiana Jim, a production of Visionary Creative Works. Call the voicemail line at 760-705-INDY. That's 760-705-4639. Send your emails or MP3 comments to Indiana Jim Podcasts at gmail.com. Follow Indy on Twitter at Indiana Jim. Visit adventuresofindianajim.net for more information and audio content. This is J.R. Murdoch on Twitter at J.R. Murdoch and at jrmurdoch.com.